CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is sponsored by Filecoin Foundation. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash with me, Zach Seward, Adam Levine, Jen Sinassi, and Will Foxley. We're going to get you going on the crypto news of the day. And we're going to start off with Will on some news out of the Ethereum ecosystem. Will, what do you got? Everyone put your hands up. It happened. It happened yesterday. We had Chappella. The Chappelle Adam, hard fork happened up. yesterday. Adam, you didn't get your hands up. I don't participate. I don't participate. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. Meme.gif. You got to look at that. Now, this this was a pretty big update yesterday. Uh, finally, that we saw unstaking occur on the Ethereum network through the Chappelle upgrade. It's occurred late last night, uh, very early in the morning for our European friends. Huge upgrade. We've seen about 100,000 or so Ether unstake as of now. This is mostly people skimming off rewards from the stake they put into the Ethereum upgrade of the beacon chain about two years ago. We're seeing continuous people pull stake out of Ethereum right now. It's about 800,000 Ether waiting in queue. It'll take a few days for that to process. We're also seeing some large exchanges begin to pull stake based on past obligations to pull that stake, namely Kraken, which was forced by the SEC to shut down staking program. So there is a lot going on. But the biggest thing to walk away with is the fact that Ethereum successfully completed the Ethereum 2.0 transition that started back in December of 2020 with the launch of the Beacon Chain. People staked ETH onto that network and they waited for that ETH to be able to unstake. And now it can be unstaked. This is a big moment for a lot of people who worked on this upgrade for years and has been in the roadmap since the launch of the Ethereum white paper. Zach, I throw this one up to you. It brings you back to some good editorial coverage from the tech desk back in the day. Yeah, long time coming, right? This gives people a lot more flexibility in terms of how they stake their Ether and where. Also could usher in a new set of those who might want to stake their Ether with a bit more certainty that they can withdraw it and keep it liquid. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over time. But I guess a lot of people were kind of wondering what would happen to the price. And the price seems to be up, at least in the short term. So that's a question that I have. What seems to be driving that price surge seems to be on top of mind for a lot of folks in the article and elsewhere, talking about why Ethereum is trading right at $2,000 in the wake of what was a pretty significant upgrade that many were wondering if that would increase sell pressure, right? If people can unstake this stuff, potentially they want to cash out. 
that doesn't seem to be happening just yet, as far as early indicators suggest. So I think the price action here is certainly interesting and worth noting. I'll toss it to Adam. I don't know if he has any thoughts on why the price is so up, but there's certainly lots to talk about here. I think that the price is probably up because people expected the price to be down. And so as a result of it not going down immediately, it started going up. I thought you were going to do the meme where the price is up because more people are wanting to buy than they are to sell. Like we were going to hit you with the, just the classic, the classic no, 101 meme. I'm not going to do that to you. Thank you. I love sell high, right? So I mean, like this is an important moment for Ethereum and it's an important moment for people both on kind of like the Ethereum side of things and also on the other side of things, right? We've talked on past shows about how Ethereum is the market leader very clearly in kind of the world computer sector. And it has a lot of other projects that have over the years been like, hey, we're a better version of that. And a big selling point for many of those projects was scaling, was you know moving to proof of stake or, or was uh, being proof of stake so that you could claim better energy efficiency and things like that. So again, there were a lot of different places where this could have gone wrong, whether you know now or three years ago, there have been a lot of moments where this could have tripped and fallen right on its face and it didn't happen. And the fact that it didn't happen is significant, both because this is arguably the completion of sort of the largest on-chain upgrade I think that we've seen across really anything uh, of an at-scale block chain. And then also because what do these other projects do? What is the selling factor of a project that is the next best thing after Ethereum if Ethereum is actually pulling off this, this thing that it's now been on track to do for a number of years? I'm really interested to see what comes next for those because I think that there might be kind of like a rebranding moment, kind of like we saw in the very early days when every coin was trying to be the next Bitcoin, right? And then nothing really worked. <laughs> so you wind up with, well, okay, let's do something else entirely. And you wind up with something like Ethereum and then everybody's copying that. So it's kind of a, an important moment for Ethereum. And I think it's a weird moment for a lot of the kind of altcoin scene. So curious to see what happens next. Jen? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I read this and I thought about all of these Ethereum killers we spoke about during the bull run. And I thought about a lot of them and thought about the hacks and vulnerabilities and downtime that they all experienced that Ethereum did. And Ethereum really just continues to truck along to hit their milestones to avoid any types of vulnerabilities or hacks or shortfalls in these transitions. And it just seems like they're doing it so, so gracefully. And so what, every time I read one of these stories and I see the Ethereum price go up, it just makes me smile given everything else that's going on in this industry that we talk about on this show so much. And some of the articles that were published this morning, there were a lot of bank analysts, you know, talking about increased selling pressure and more volatility. And so just to see the price of Ethereum go up, albeit maybe for a short while, was nice to see amongst those stories. And Will, I'm going to kick it back to you for the final thoughts on this. The Shanghai upgrade has happened. People can now unstake their, their Ether, claim those rewards. What's next for Ethereum? What's the next milestone we have to look forward to? Is it like, is the one bad thing going to be the SEC? I don't know. Tell us. Well, there's the merge, the purge, the splurge, and all the other things that uh, Vitalik <laughs> talked about a few months back, right? So there's a long roadmap for Ethereum. This is only the beginning. Uh, ETH 2.0, proof of stake, whatever you want to call it. It took quite a while, right? Like the first designs for this were happening back in 2015, but they did complete it. And they were very slow on purpose because it is a monumental engineering task. And also Ethereum grew so large in terms about the assets on top of the platform. So they had to be very careful. But there's things coming down the roadmap, right? There's ideas for how do you get rid of all this bloat of all this data that's happened on the on the chain in the past. That's something called the purge. It looks like there's going to be some also some like novel tech engineering designs called the splurge, things like that. We have some fun names in Ethereum. And there's going to be more in the future. But this is only one part of future updates. 
I think it's probably the biggest. And that's maybe why we're seeing some nice rewards in terms of price action. But there's certainly more stuff to come. But we'll leave it there. Zach, we're going over to you to talk about next subject. All right, I'll take it. And let's talk about some stuff. We're talking about, I think we're talking about Twitter. Is that right? Hold on one second. Let's do this thing. Actually, no, you faked me out, Wait, Will. I faked you out. I Shannon like, is talking about this. And I said yeah, nothing. Next. I was going to let it run. Oh. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm, I'm going to let it killing go and see what happens. Jen, you're right. killing me. Right. We're going over to Twitter land where eToro was going to be offering crypto trading to Twitter users. The new partnership is going to see Twitter users get access to real-time prices for crypto, stocks, and other assets, and then get directed right off to eToro's platform where they can can invest. Users on Twitter will be able to search for cash tags. I believe that we've been able to search for cash tags since December, but now this is going to be accessible to everyone worldwide on Twitter. And the new feature here is that straight off to eToro. I wonder how much they paid for this. But Zach, off to you. What do you think? Hard to say who paid whom on this one. Obviously, it's a big time <laughs> user attraction play by eToro, but also Twitter's kind of in the doldrums right now. Mm. A lot of people considering using other services, not really feeling the love or on Twitter lately. So a lot of folks potentially maybe less interested than they would have been in the past, right? So Twitter needs to obviously inject some life into the product. And if this is something that can inject some life into the product, then that's a great win for Elon Musk and Twitter.com. Because I think clearly it's sort of lost some of its footing here. It's lost some of its footing relative to the crypto conversation, certainly, and more broadly, I think in the bigger conversations that are existing both in the US and globally. So if sort of this finance functionality, this personal investing functionality is something that is attractive to Twitter users, hey, maybe it moves the needle and brings more people back into the fold, right? Oh, I can, I can read the news and trade stocks and cryptocurrencies within a few clicks. Maybe that's something that is a value to what Elon Musk Twitter wants to become. Time will tell, of course, if people ultimately end up using this service and signing up for those eToro accounts to make it all possible, right? This isn't some sort of like permissionless or decentralized exchange backend that's making it all happen because you have an Ethereum wallet somewhere. This is certainly sort of a user acquisition ploy by eToro and a, hey, let's try to get some more attention and some more juice back onto the platform by Twitter. So I'll toss it to you, Adam, for your thoughts. Yeah, so I think that this one's kind of fascinating to me. A lot of times as companies get bigger, they become more sort of uh, generic and depersonalized because there's so many people and it's such a big business that it just doesn't make sense to personalize the thing. And so here, I think we have one of the very rare examples that I've seen in my life of a company that's quite large, reasonably important, coming in and essentially going from that giant company where nobody is really accountable to there's one dude who's just doing stuff. And in doing stuff, some of it's okay, some of it's great, some of it's bad, but he's doing stuff and you know exactly who it is. And that, that seems consistent to me with this type of move. So, I mean, like when I'm thinking about Twitter these days, I think that Musk's vision for it is kind of like a, a meta app, not meta in terms of Facebook claiming that or in terms of metaverse, but kind of like the, the layer that hovers above everything and just kind of comments on everything. It makes sense to me that this wouldn't be a direct integration where people are buying and selling stuff directly through Twitter, but is in fact referencing it and then pushing out to some other partner that's going to do those things. I'm very interested to see what happens with this application. Like I said, very unique, uh, you know, in my experience. And I think that it could be really good, but also it could be really bad. And I think we're going to get a lot of that, both of that stuff uh, before we figure it out. Will? 
Yeah, I'm going to take this into a crypto angle you guys are not ready for. And I think Zach may appreciate this. Andre Cronier is to DeFi as Elon Musk is to all these other large companies out there, meaning that he's willing to test in production. And he's also willing to be totally disliked by everyone to see whatever the hell his vision is possibly going to end up being. That's exactly how I see the situation. Elon tweeted about this, I think, six months plus ago at this point, uh, certainly around the time he bought Twitter. And that was the fact that they were going to test everything in production. And they have done this, right? Just the other week, what they do with Substack, they stopped allowing Substack linked tweets onto Twitter. So you couldn't have a Substack URL on Twitter. I think they've rolled that back at this point. But the purpose was to see the reaction, right? Like, are people going to be upset? And people were certainly upset. People decided to leave Twitter because of it. And now we'll also see with the NPR thing, right? Twitter just labeled NPR as government-funded media. That really did not make NPR happy. NPR decided to leave Twitter. Well, guess what? Elon's testing in production. I think it's the same thing here with integrating uh, these cash tags, right? We're going to see Twitter try to bring in more users by adding another product feature. And if it doesn't work out, they'll just scrap it and keep moving along. Now, the question is, is it sustainable, right? Twitter has a huge moat. Everyone goes there every day. A lot of journalists use it just as the mainstay of their jobs. People go there for information all the time. And it might continue to work. But for Andre Cronier, it worked only for a little bit. If you go back into DeFi history, you'll see that he was testing in production. And then over time, people got really irritated with him and they decided not to use his stuff anymore. There's a lot more history in there. I'm kind of simplifying things. But I personally like my comparison here. All good, metaphor. Zach. good metaphor. Very good metaphor. Uh, you, you, when you started that metaphor off, I was like, Man, I don't and then you hit it with a test and prod. I just, <laughs> oh, yeah. wow, that was, oh, yeah. And then you ended with the Chef's fact kiss. that you personally liked it. I love that. That was my favorite part. <laughs> Will gave himself the stamp of approval. Yes. I mean, I think like just going back, I think you could do this more crypto natively and that would be really interesting, right? Like if there is a way that sort of the composability of smart contracts and decentralized exchange could be incorporated by this Web2 Titan, that would actually be really fascinating. Instead, this is a business development relationship, right? This is something that is very Web2. We're going to go from one big tech company to another big tech company. We're going to enable this functionality for folks, and that's great for some folks, but it'd be really cool to look under the hood and, and see that there was Web3 technology powering this stuff. And maybe one day that is something, right? Maybe that's something that is on the roadmap. Who knows? It's Elon doing Elon, as, as, uh, as Adam referred to it. So we'll see if that comes to fruition at some point in the future. Could be something that would, again, enhance that super app experience that Musk is on the record is trying to make Twitter become. But hey, who knows? Adam, your thoughts? You know, just Musk, say you like my it, take. Just okay, let's just go with that. Let's just go with that. Well, let's, 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 we like your take and we'll move on. Hey, this is Jensen Assey from The Hash. Are you heading to Consensus? Because I am, along with the rest of The Hash crew. If you're there, you have to connect with the Filecoin community ahead of Coindesk's big event at the Filecoin Network Base from April 24th through April 26th in downtown Austin. Join Filecoin ecosystem contributors for lightning talks on Web3, gaming, developer workshops, and the latest updates on the Filecoin virtual machine. Spanning three floors packed with programming and networking opportunities, the network base hosted by Filecoin Foundation is your go-to spot for cross-chain collaboration and connection in Austin. Register today at networkbase.io forward slash Austin. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. 
Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. All right, everybody. Whale alert. Everybody loves a good whale alert on Twitter and elsewhere. Someone just sent $330 million worth of Bitcoin to Bitfinex, the crypto exchange. We don't know who did it, but we do know that it happened because these are open networks and we can watch it happen in real time. It's fun. Anyway, this is an account that was accumulating a lot of Bitcoin when it was trading at a lower price. The move to an exchange suggests that maybe they're trying to take a little bit of profit as Bitcoin hovers around 30,000. Of note, Bitcoin is back above 30,000. The time this was published, I'm assuming it was right below 30,000. So we'll see what happens. Let's talk about the whale alert phenomenon. I don't know, Adam, do you have any thoughts on this one? It is a cool function of the crypto economy that you can watch large transactions happen in real time. Well, you know, there's just more people who want to buy the price right now than want to sell the price. And that's causing the price to go. I'm, I'm just kidding. When we look at kind of the crypto market, for a long time, there's been sort of two sides to it. One side is sort of the philosophical side, and the other side is the number go up side. The number go up side, always super interested in what the people who are holding the biggest amounts, because obviously the supply on the market is relevant. And indeed, if you are looking to, again, like the trick to make money in cryptocurrency has always been to have enough money to have your fingers in all of the pies that you want to have them in and be able to have a long enough time horizon that you can sit through any sort of three or four year long cycle. So this type of move for this type of person would make sense to me that they would be taking some profit now, uh, given sort of the pickups earlier. Do I think it has much of an impact? Uh, I think it'll probably lo lower the Gini coefficient, right? So the concentration of wealth, this is one of the most concentrated accounts I think that we have out there today. So when it divests, that means that things get a little more egalitarian, but it remains still a very large account, certainly, even if it does sell all of this. Jen? Yeah, whale watching is fun for me, but that's it, right? I'm not here to make a quick buck. And I think that's important to bring up when we talk about these whales making massive moves. I think that this account cashed out just over $900 million, correct me if I'm wrong. And so that's great for this person. It's fun to watch, but I think it's always important to highlight that the price going up and down is not the only thing that's happening in this industry and, and the other things that are going on are a lot cooler. Will? Give me a break. The NFT shill on the show isn't here for the price action. Come on, that's not true at all. I don't believe it. Yeah, let's put this in some context here a little bit and I'll leave Jen there just to burn a little by herself. MicroStrategy has, uh, well, you should, you should feel a little embarrassed. <laughs> MicroStrategy has about 140,000 Bitcoin. Marathon Digital is a Bitcoin miner and they have about 10,000 Bitcoin on their books. Uh, next two in the stack on terms of highest Bitcoin holdings by companies Coinbase and Square with about 9,000 and 8,000 Bitcoin each. So whoever this individual is, they have as much Bitcoin as these very large companies, not as much as MicroStrategy. But as much as Coinbase, which that's not really their Bitcoin, right? That's an aggregate of all these retail users. So I think it's just important to note that these whales do exist and they have as much money and as much ability to put pressure on the price of Bitcoin, either up or down, as some of these huge companies. If you heard about Marathon or MicroStrategy, another company dumping Bitcoin in the open market, you would see some price action. So I think it is important to watch these whales. That being said, the information we have is 
pretty loose, right? We can only sort of see like where these flows are going. They might be going to an exchange. We don't even know if they're necessarily selling. We just know that it's sitting on that exchange. And maybe we can see if that address changes a little bit or not once they pull the Bitcoin back off the exchange. But we're kind of lost when it hits an exchange. The coolest thing here, though, is to see that it's an open financial system and you can see people start to divest and put money into different things. I'll leave it there, though. Give it back to Zach. Yeah, I think that's always the fun part, right? You can track these flows in real time on the internet in a way that doesn't exist in traditional finance. Now, of course, there are downsides to that, right? You don't necessarily want to be associated with some of these large moves. And there are ways to sort of break the, uh, not anonymity, but pseudonymity of these blockchain systems. So when you hear about people saying, hey, we need privacy tech in crypto, this is kind of what it boils down to, right? Not everyone wants, you know, how much money they take out of their wallet to be news, to be talked about on Coindesk. And so that's something that I think privacy advocates would say, we need to build systems that sort of maintain that public verifiability, but are also private in nature. Otherwise, these traditional financial players are not going to want to play in these markets, right? It's disadvantageous for all this stuff to be hung out to dry, as it were. But anyway, we'll talk about some other stuff later on, I'm sure. Let's go to the realm of politics. Adam, what do you got? Yeah, so our last story of today, a new bill changing the rules of how Bitcoin miners would interact with the Texas power grid has unanimously passed in the state Senate. The bill, which is known as SB 1751, is looking to reduce incentives for Bitcoin miners to turn off their machines during peak power load by putting caps on those. Under the new rules, miners as a group would be capped in their participation in the industrial power saving program and would also see tax abatements abolished for the industry. Although this has cleared the Senate, it still has a few major hurdles left to go before it becomes law, including what's expected to be a contentious and likely less positive vote in the state's Congress and an uncertain future on the governor's desk. There's actually a couple of more things to talk about here, but let's just kind of jump right into it. Will, why don't you go ahead and get us started from a miner's perspective on this? Totally. As disclosure, I do run media for a mining company, so I know a little bit about this. And I think the biggest thing to know is like, this bill is put in place because there's large political pressure around Bitcoin mining right now. We talked about it last week, or maybe it was earlier this week, the New York Times article that sort of textualized this debate between energy markets and Bitcoin miners and retail consumers, electricity, who are paying more because of inflation, because the cost of energy has gone up. And we're really seeing a debate, right, for the first time. Oftentimes with crypto tokens and everything else out there, you don't necessarily have to interact with it if you don't want to. But Bitcoin mining, because it uses energy, it has like a normal place in an everyday person's life, right? If my energy bill went up and I know there's a Bitcoin mining facility nearby, I might put those two things together. So we're going to continue to see this. And that's where you're going to see these bills roll through different state legislatures talking about it. This particular one in Texas, I just don't think really has a chance of going anywhere. The Texas governor has been very, very pro-crypto, even welcoming crypto miners back in 2021 when China banned Bitcoin mining. So I think it's going to be vetoed at that end. But we'll be interesting to see if the rest of the Texas legislature is for or against this, depending on how they view it, right? And that will give you a little bit more understanding of how this is viewed in other state legislatures all across America. Texas might be mostly Republican, but not everyone who is Republican is pro-Bitcoin mining or pro-Bitcoin. And not everyone who is Democratic or Democratic-leaning is pro-Bitcoin or anti-Bitcoin. We're going to see this for the first time, basically, it's happening down Texas. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, for me, this points out the cycle that I talk about a lot on the show when we talk about Bitcoin and, and the energy concerns. It's like the government says these things about Bitcoin's energy consumption that are very subjective. 
And then the mainstream media goes out and tries to find more facts and put together an objective report. But kind of that New York Times piece I was thinking about um, how we were like, you know, it would be so good to see a comparison between Bitcoin's energy consumption and the traditional finance world's energy consumption. So some of the comparisons that were made in, in that New York Times article fell flat for me. I know it fell flat for some of the other people who were on the show that day. And now I read this article and I see that a Texas resident was quoted who organized hundreds of local residents in a group called Concerned Citizens of Navarro County to campaign against riot platforms. And so these people are out there reading this message, forming their own opinions without having that kind of objective information. And so when I see this, it's like kind of annoying. Before I pass it off to you, Adam, I have a question because I'm not completely sure on, you know, how the energy supply and grid works. So if this bill were to pass, right, and uh, miners were not able to participate in this program that allows them to turn operations down in times of high energy demand, wouldn't that just incentivize them to continue operations and affect the city and the environment more so than before? Yeah, I mean, so the way that I set up this story leaned into that, which is not really how the article itself is written. But yeah, that's how I read it, too. It's that if the goal. Uh, so what one of the things that the bill does is it caps the the amount of essentially rewards that as industrial users, Bitcoin miners can uh, earn for turning off their power during high capacity times. And so by capping it at 10 percent, it means that if miners would have used 25 percent, but now they're capped at 10 percent, then there's no reason for them to turn off thing, uh, you know, the, the incentive kind of drops off there. So it definitely does seem to be uh, like more about optics than it seems to be about there being an actual problem here. Because it seems like, again, to the extent there's a problem, it's the way that the grid is set up and it's not really about any particular industrial use. To your other point, though, Jen, that petition I, I found really, really interesting. And it brought up something for me that I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about and probably warrants a longer conversation we have time for today. Uh, but when a company builds a factory in a location, then typically it will create jobs in that location. And those jobs typically will go to people who work there because they're the people who are available. So with a Bitcoin mine, that doesn't really seem to be the case. And it does seem to have some negative externalities. And so that was what I saw lots of people uh, in Navarro County kind of talking about and concerned about. That seems valid to me as a reason to not want that type of thing to go there. Go for it, Zach. What do you think? No, I think these are all super interesting points. We got to wrap it, unfortunately. But yeah, talk about a big win for the New York Times piece. The timing here is certainly uh, notable. All right, that's it for the show today. Uh, just want to let y'all know we're heading down to Texas, if they'll have us, for a consensus. Less than two weeks away, there's a hash stage. We're doing it live. We're going to be out there in person. <laughs> Come join us, ask us questions. It'll be fun, I swear. All right, I'm Zach. That's Adam. Jen, Will. We're the hash. We're glad you're here. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>